So when I was a college sophomore at the Colorado School of Mines, I got the opportunity to work in South Africa at a platinum mine processing facility, a base metals refinery. I was thinking about majoring in metallurgical engineering. And so when a friend heard that, she said, why don't you work in South Africa this summer like I did? So fast forward over some crackly phone calls and a meeting with the CEO in his ski sweater. And the next thing you know, I'm on a plane to Johannesburg. Now this is the summer of 1992. Just two years after F.W. de Klerk repealed the ban on the African National Congress and released Nelson Mandela, South Africa was in serious transition, probably one of the most significant political and social transitions that any nation has gone through in my lifetime. But I was 19 years old and my naivete did not allow me to take pause and consider the gravity or potential danger of spending a summer at a mine in South Africa. I really just wanted to see and experience the world. So let me describe where I landed. The Rustenburg Base Metals Refinery was attached to the Waterval Platinum Mine just outside of Rustenburg, South Africa. That's about 70 miles northeast of Johannesburg. This area of the world provides about 40% of the world's platinum. Most of that is used for your catalytic converter. Also, when you mine one metal, it often comes out with several of its friends. In this case, base metals like nickel, copper, cadmium, selenium, and cobalt. And these base metals were what our plant processed and refined to a final product. The facility was about a half mile wide by one mile long. Around a couple thousand employees were working there on rotating shifts around the clock. The whole place was scattered with bicycles because things were that far apart. They had a great canteen that made the best toasted cheese and bacon sandwiches in the world. Now keep in mind that at this point, according to my transcripts from Minds, I'd taken a bit of chemistry, two physics classes, a geology class, and most of my math. I was learning, but I was no engineer. And when this is your level of experience, they generally assign you to the lab because you really can't screw up too much there. I got a nice little project testing resin beads that would collect the metal molecules from solution. I would test it in the lab, and then we would do a pilot study on some small-scale industrial equipment. Let's just say this would look great on my resume. Well, about three weeks into my summer job, the organized labor at the mine decided to strike. Now, I blame my age and general cluelessness when I tell you that I really can't tell you why. (laughs) Something about fewer work hours, I do know that. I do also remember that not all the workers were striking, but the majority were. So much like strike labor rules here in the U.S., currently employed management employees are assigned to the roles that labor formerly did. This means that all researchers, management, and administrative staff are assigned to a skeleton crew to try to keep things limping along at the plant. That means that my cushy, safe lab job was over. I'd be reassigned to a labor job somewhere in the giant base metals refinery. So for 26 days, I worked with Jeff Lang, who was one of the metallurgists, cleaning the nickel filter press for 12 hours a day. Our shift started at 8 p.m., ended at 8 a.m. Between shifts, we would drive home, shower, sleep, eat, and go back to work every day, no days off. Now, if you're not familiar with the plate and frame filter press, (laughs) let me enlighten you. In a mining operation like the one I was working in, you leach the crushed ore with an acid, and then the runoff contains a solution enriched with dissolved metals. In the biz, we call this the pregnant solution. Sounds nicer than it is. Um, That's about as simplified as an explanation of the process as possible. Usually you have to use words like anions and autoclaves. 
but you get the picture. The solution can be beautiful shades of blue or green, depending on what kind of metal and salt you've just created. In our case, the nickel stream was a lovely shade of green. The filter press was a series of 12 plates, maybe six foot by six foot, that were covered in, clo in cloth on both sides. Think of painting canvases. You'd sandwich these plates together in a horizontal stack and push the go button. The machine would squeeze the plates together tightly and then force the runoff fluid from one end to the other under pressure. 30 minutes or so later, the buzzer would buzz. We would hop down off the autoclave tank because it was nice and warm up there and release the pressure, opening the stack of plates. Then the real fun began. We had to clean off all the sediment that got filtered out. Jeff and I would stand on opposite sides of the press, grab the first vertical plate and slide it out about a foot. I had this really cool tool that looked like about the same size as a kitty litter scoop, except that it was heavy duty plastic and the head was flat and sharp, like a scraper. And I can remember trying to get my scraper off to a good start on the edge of the plate and then scraping it into the center. If you do this enough, you can really develop a good technique. I'm proud to say that I did develop a good technique because on a 12-hour shift, we would probably clean the 12 plates about eight times. Considering I shared the job with Jeff, we worked for 26 days. When you do the math, I cleaned a metric shit ton of plates. <laughs> but I can tell you that when you really get your technique down and the conditions are just right, you will open a plate, peek your scraper under the edge of the mud, and with one beautiful arc of a scrape, the entire mud face will fall into the bin below, making the most satisfying flop you will ever hear. <laughs> Small victories in a giant processing plant are worth celebrating. But of course, the other case also happened, where it might take us a full hour to clean the 12 plates, scraping away layers of clay-like mud, thinking that maybe this really sucked. This was a hard job. My arm ached. I was short for a machine clearly designed by and for a man. And no matter what kind of protective gear I wore, the solution was burning holes through my work uniforms, especially where my thighs leaned up against the rails. Now, in a modern mind, say in the US, a company would make a small investment to automate this process by adding an air blower that pumps air into the middle of each plate, thus expanding the fabric and sloughing off the mud and sediment. But in a place where labor is so cheap, that's just not gonna happen. Whenever I flash back to this job, which is more often than you might think, <laughs> I think about the fact that there are people doing jobs like this all over the world. Mind-numbing, dangerous, repetitive tasks. I'm grateful for their work, because I like having a car, I like having a phone. And I'm grateful for the workers and activists that don't let companies pass on safety. The end of this story is that after the strike ended, I finished what I could in my little lab project in the remaining two weeks. But I knew that what I'd learned about work would alter my outlook on so many things forever. After I finished my job, I had two weeks off before returning to the States. So I convinced two of my coworkers to go camping with me in Zimbabwe. But believe me when I say, that's a whole nother story.